Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Africast. Uh, my name is Brendan Lotz, and joining me as always is Robin Lee Chetty. Howdy. Uh, Clinton won't be joining us today because he's actually on leave. Clever, clever lad. Took leave, and now he gets, uh, what, like a five-day holiday? <laughs> Six-day holiday? Man. Yeah. Very smart. Very smart, Clinton. Um, yeah, five-head move there. Yeah, very five-head move. Uh, it's a, It's been a shorter week, as I mentioned as well. There's a long weekend coming up. Um, and we're just going to touch base, chat about some happenings in the world, starting with uh, the EU Digital Services Act, Robin. You covered this earlier this week. Yes. So over the weekend, or I guess the previous weekend, uh, the EU Parliament uh, decided to kind of unpack some of the finer elements as, as regards the Digital Service Act or DSA, as we'll kind of be referring to it throughout this uh, story. And uh, this outlined essentially a new framework uh, as far as what the DSA aims to do. Um, it particularly focuses on how online platforms handle uh, information, data, and content on their, I guess, on their platforms for lack of a better term. And while that is nothing new, the DSA has been in some form of debate or has been put forward in a number of different ways by the EU Parliament since last year already. Um, now it's starting to get some teeth and there were some kind of interesting elements. So. Uh, the parliament released a statement on the matter and they said that the new framework under the DSA is founded on European values. Uh, I'm not too sure what that means specifically, yeah. but uh, they're referring to including the respect of human rights, freedom, democracy, equality, and the rule of law. It will rebalance the rights and responsibility of users, online intermediaries, uh, including online platforms, as well as very large on platforms and public authorities. Um, the press release goes on to say that the DSA contains EU-wide due diligence obligations that will apply to all digital services that connect consumers to goods, services, or content, including new procedures for fast removal of legal content, as well as comprehensive protection of users' fundamental rights online. So this kind of falls in line with what we've seen as regards mis the spread of misinformation. We've seen that the likes of Facebook and Twitter have kind of been held to account uh, in terms of that, that kind of elements are concerned. You've also seen the likes of Google um, and its kind of different ecosystems also being uh, scrutinized quite heavily when it comes to antitrust uh, behavior. And it looks like the EU is going to kind of use the DSA to kind of enforce a lot of the rules it has it wants to put forward. Um, when we're kind of looking through what the different elements of the DSA will potentially pertain to, one of the really interesting ones was with regards to algorithms. As we know that uh, a lot of platforms rely on the algorithms, think of the likes of YouTube and Spotify in particular, the algorithms are potentially their most important pieces of IP. So yeah. the EU's DSA says that um, there will be transparency measures for online platforms on a variety of issues, including on the algorithms used recommending content or products to users. So they're wanting greater transparency in terms of how those algorithms work and potentially seeing if there is a scope for any antitrust behavior within the algorithm itself. We know that the algorithms are used to kind of keep 
users on a platform for an extended period of time. Spotify is very good at it. YouTube is expert at it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it will be, I guess, from a from a tech journal perspective, quite interesting to see what those algorithms uh, actually uh, made up of or what they consist of, uh, how they actually keep you on the platform for longer. But at the same time, I'm not really sure that these uh, big tech platforms are interested in sharing their IP, um, especially making it widely available to not only the public, but uh, government authorities as well. So this is still going to be go to um, some in- independent bodies for further um, uh, for further, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say commentary, but they are looking uh, They've kind of mentioned that once adopted, the DSA will directly be applicable across the EU and apply apply 15 months uh, from the 1st of January 2024. So there is still going to be quite a bit of time before this uh, comes into play. There's going to be quite a lot of formal review and uh, a lengthy approval process involved with this. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is some pushback, especially as as regards the kind of algorithm element of the, the DSA. And yeah, as we've seen in the past, big tech companies and the EU have not seen eye to eye on a number of matters. And yeah, it's, it will be interesting to see how this kind of develops over the coming year or two. So something that I find interesting about this is uh, you mentioned YouTube. And I think that's a really good example to, to kind of start this off on is that YouTube, I don't think it even understands how its algorithm works. They've said that a number of times that how the algorithm recommends content and stuff is not something that it fully understands. So I foresee that a lot of these companies are going to push back and say, well, you know, the way that these things are formulated, we can tell you what um, parameters we're looking at, but how those decisions are made and what content is served is something that's like, it's, it's uh, what's the word here? Uh, it's not something tangible, you know, it's not something you can point to and say, well, you know, if somebody watches 50 PewDiePie videos, they'll get recommended, I don't know, a a Jacksepticeye video. Sorry, those two are just kind of linked to my mind. But like, I don't think they could be able to make a call like that. So this will be very interesting to see. Uh, Of course, I expect tech companies to push back though. Yeah, big time. I think, especially with regards to YouTube, I think they sometimes lean on the fact on that uh, the algorithm is uh, hard to pin down or mm. hard to kind of quantify for the quote-unquote layman or oh, general consumer. Yeah. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see whether or not they are willing to uh, let the governments uh, kind of have a peek under the hood, as it were. Yeah, I mean, look, if, it's, if it comes out that Google's just been uh, fleecing everybody by... Uh, saying that they don't understand the algorithm works and how the algorithm works, and then it comes out that they have a thorough understanding and do control it, I think there will be a lot of uh, a lot of outcry from the world, not just the European Union. Uh, right, moving on to twenty twenty ten or twenty ten. I mean, why did I say twenty twenty ten? Twenty ten. You may recall back in twenty ten uh, the story of an Apple engineer who left behind an iPhone at a restaurant that looked like an iPhone 3GS, but turned out to actually be an iPhone 4. So I mentioned this because uh, at or last weekend, um, somebody found what looked to be a forthcoming Google Pixel watch at a restaurant. 
Uh, as reported by Android Central, an anonymous source found a Google Watch at a restaurant in the US and sent through images, uh, and Android Central published them. The images showcased a rounded-faced watch with tiny bezels and a crown on the side of the device. Uh, the watch band is reminiscent of the Apple Watch, and the device looks similar to leaked images. So many people have kind of taken this as... Uh, this is what the Google Pixel Watch will look like. Um, the, the Pixel Watch is expected to be re uh, announced rather at Google I.O. taking place next month on the 11th of May. Uh, and yeah, it, it's, it's just a weird one. Um, for one, companies like this generally guard their IP like very close to their chest. Um, and it's very odd to me that, that Google, a Google engineer or somebody who's obviously close to this project uh, decided to take it off campus um, to a restaurant and then leave it there. Uh, the person who found it said that they weren't able to log or power on the watch. They couldn't get past the, uh, the Google logo, which uh, led many to believe that there was no operating system installed on, on the uh, device or it was bugged, um, which means that Unlike the case of the Apple uh, phone, which was found in 2010, which appeared to be being used uh, for testing purposes out in the wild, uh, this was just a uh, in-development device that somebody left at a restaurant. Um, Google hasn't commented on it, as you might expect. Um, but yeah, just a really odd one, to be honest with you. Like, It seems to me like a very clever marketing ploy um, to drive up some talk about what would otherwise be just another wearable. Um, and yeah, it's just a weird one to me. It really does feel like a marketing ploy to me because uh, generally companies like this aren't just going to take a device that they haven't released yet out into the public and then leave it behind. Of course, maybe the employee was just absent-minded and forgot it, in which case um, I'm sure your managers are having very serious talks with you right now and we're sorry, but yeah. What do you think, Robin? Do you think that this was a marketing ploy? This is the biggest plant of all time um, because it, I understand a phone. A phone you can leave on the table and you mm -hmm. potentially leave behind. A watch you have secured to your wrist. Yeah. So you're telling me this this person uh, removed the watch and then put it on the table and then left it behind. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, no. I, and I mean, this is not the first time that uh, just before a big uh, consumer device is launched, uh, a lot of images start leaking online. and. Yeah. They often smell a lot like uh, planted uh, leaks, uh, yeah. controlled leaks, as they were. Exactly. They all like got studio photography, and they're clearly not 3D renders. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, as I mentioned, Google I/O kicks off on the 11th May, and the Pixel Watch uh, and Pixel 7 smartphone from Google will likely be announced. Um, unfortunately, South Africa is not a Pixel market, and one day maybe that will change, but it uh, doesn't seem like it is at the moment. Um, but yeah, companies doing weird things with marketing. That's, uh, uh, of course, we don't know it's marketing, but it, it does feel like it. Right, let's move on to possibly the biggest news of the last, or of the month, I think. Um, I don't want to say the year because we're only still in April um, and there's many months ahead of us. But Elon Musk is now the owner of Twitter. Of course, there's still some uh, things that need to happen in the background um, in terms of regulation and all that sort of stuff. But for all intents and purposes, uh, Elon Musk is now the owner of Twitter. He paid a total of 44 billion US dollars, and that translates to 54 and 20 or 50 dollars. $54.20 per share. Uh, he had to put a 420 joke in there somehow. 
Um, and yeah, essentially this means Musk paid 38% more per share than he did when he disclosed his 9% stake in the social network earlier in April. Um, yeah, so let's kick off with discussions. I'm going to start by saying, uh, asking the question, uh, did we think Musk was actually going to do this? And I will be honest and say that I didn't think that he was going to do it. Um, the price of $54.20 per share is really very good for the shareholders and likely something that was very hard for them to turn down. If I was a Twitter shareholder, I would have probably taken the deal as well. 38% more than what Musk paid when he declared um, oh, that he had bought stake in Twitter at the beginning of April. Um, yeah, why not? It's 38% more for free for not doing anything, you know? Um, and especially, which we'll talk about later, Twitter's financial results. Um, this was a very good deal, I, I think, uh, for the shareholders. I think Musk might, may have overpaid. But yeah, I didn't think that he was going to do it. I didn't think Twitter was going to agree to it. But here we sit. Robin, what were your thoughts going into this? Did you think that Musk was going was gonna to get away with it? No, I mean, I understand why the why the shareholders kind of said yes to the deal. It, like you mentioned, it is almost too good to be true as far as the offer is concerned. Uh, we know that Musk has the the funds to kind of uh, get the deal over the line. Mm. Um, and also interestingly, I read that uh, if, for example, he pulls out of the deal, he has to pay a penalty of a, around about $1 billion. Oh. Um, yeah, but I'm sure he's got those lying around in his cartridge yeah, yeah. somewhere. Uh, he'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was... For me, I understand why the shareholders did it. Um, we've kind of lamented quite a few times on previous podcasts uh, about the state of Twitter, how um, it can be a really uh, difficult place to kind of be as far as just the noise on the platform itself, mm. um, the spread of misinformation as well. Um it can get there can be a lot of vitriol on the platform as well, and um, yeah, for, I think from that perspective, uh, while Twitter is widely popular, and if a company or brand or person doesn't have a Twitter account, they're almost seen as an outlier, um, maybe even a pariah. Um, so, I, I, I kind of understand the the reason, uh, the kind of motivation to want to perhaps get rid of of your share in uh, in Twitter, given that it doesn't seem to be improving much, yeah. at least from a, I, I don't want to say from technology standpoint, but definitely from a, a social standpoint, it doesn't really seem to be uh, improving much. It seems to, in fact, be getting a little bit worse. Um, if you're looking at it from a technology standpoint, we've, we've seen that uh, Twitter have been throwing a lot of money as far as kind of spinning up new features, trying to kind of get more money out of the bank money out of the platform uh, with Twitter Blue, for example. Mm. I'm not too sure how that's doing. Um, I'm assuming it's okay for now, but I'm not really sure if it's going to be the great money spinner that Twitter are hoping it's going to be. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is very much, although it is an extremely important platform for a lot of people, it is very much a platform that is mired in a lot of controversy and potentially is more trouble than it's actually worth from a shareholder perspective. So I fully understand why they went for the deal, especially when someone as brazen as Elon Musk is going to come forward and put forward a, a offer that is, I think it's going to be, if it goes through, well, once it goes through, it'll be the biggest tech deal of all time, if I remember mm. correctly. Yeah, and also importantly, that Musk does plan to take Twitter private, so it won't be a public company anymore. 
um, which also we'll get into in a little bit. Um, I do want to mention just some of the uh, statements. I suppose we can call it a statement. It's a, it's a screenshot from the Notes app um, that Elon Musk shared following the announcement from Twitter that it had accepted his deal. Uh, he said, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of, of humanity are debated, said Mr. Musk. I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms uh, open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots, and authenticating all humans. Twitter has tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. So I want to chat about these three points that uh, Musk highlighted. So the first is uh, plans to make Twitter's algorithms open source. So this statement came after uh, the news about the Digital Services Act. Um, So I think that this may be a way of Musk saying, look, I'm going to work with you, EU. Um, However, Musk also has shown a kind of disdain for dealing with government bodies, in in particular the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission in the US. So I wouldn't say that he's pandering to them, but this does seem like a preemptive, hey, EU, I've noticed what you're doing. And I will comply insofar as possible. Um, so, uh, the next thing is spam bots. Uh, how he plans to tackle this problem is unclear. It's been a problem for many, many years now, uh, particularly for Elon Musk, actually. Uh, there used to be a time where every time he would tweet, a bot who appeared to look like Elon Musk would appear and say, hey, click this link for free crypto. Um, and obviously that was a phishing or a malware link, and yeah. So I don't know how he plans to tackle this problem, especially seeing as Twitter itself in all these years has not been able to to address it. Um, maybe that means a restriction on bots, although every time Twitter has tried to make restrictions on bots, users have kind of backlashed that idea. Um, and yeah, uh, and the other one is to authenticate all humans. Now, I'm not sure what that means entirely. Like, is everybody going to get a blue tick? Does that what he mean? Is that what he means? Or does he mean that multiple accounts on Twitter are now dead? Um, so there's two sides to that. For one, that would stop people from creating, like, ghost accounts or burner accounts to just attack people and launch um, harassment campaigns. So that's good. The other side, though, is that how this would affect bots is unclear or people who manage multiple accounts. So, for instance, I have my own personal Twitter accounts, and then we all as a, as a company manage the Hypertext Twitter account. So, how would that work? Would companies have to authenticate via, like, uh, themselves as an entity, as it were? Um, yeah, I'm just curious about how, how he plans to do this, because authenticate all humans is really, really vague. Um, and yeah, I, I can see Twitter trying to have something like you need to have, you have to provide a cell phone number in order to sign up, but I believe that you do nowadays. Um, I don't know if that's a, a requirement, um, because I signed up for Twitter like many years ago, like 2009, I think. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just unclear to me how he plans to implement all of this. Uh, but those are the three things that he he wants to address. Robin, do you have any comments on those? Um, so, I mean, those points are all, to Musk's credit, pretty valid. Um, those are issues that Twitter has been plagued with for, for some time. Um, that said, I'm not too sure Musk is the person to get it done, especially as Twitter hasn't been able to get it done. Um 
I also find it uh, odd, or rather that the statement that he wants to take the company private and then also open source the, the, the algorithm, mm. those seem like statements that are at odds with one another. Mm. Uh, why would a private company want to make its algorithm open source? I'm not too sure what the reasoning is behind so, that. I know so you mentioned my, the DSA, but... Yeah, so my mm-hmm. thinking behind that is that he could monetize that by making the core algorithm open source. And then if folks want, like if a company wanted to expand on that, they could perhaps tap up Twitter to or Twitter's development team to expand on that for them. I mean, it could be another revenue stream. Um, but yeah, it's, it's unclear what he wants to do. That Sorry, I just wanted to add that two cents of mine there. No, I think that's a fair point. Um, for me, it's just that he's making these kind of widely sweeping, grandiose statements about how he's going to make Twitter better. But can you actually do it? I mean, uh, uh, to be fair, we, Musk hasn't have, hasn't had uh, his hand on, hands on the reins yet. So we have to kind of see what happens. Uh, but if Twitter has struggled with this for so long, yeah. uh, with all due respect, what is one man going to do? I agree with you there wholeheartedly because, I mean, it's not like Twitter's blind to the issues of the platform. They have been working since the start of the pandemic to address misinformation in a way that's that's fair, in a way that you don't uh, accidentally get uh, false positives. Um, so it's not like Twitter's been resting on its laurels, right? Like it's been working really hard. I think the problem that many people will say will, will say as regards Twitter is that the balance is off. And while I could agree with you there, uh, I could agree with those people finding that balance is really really difficult um especially if with things like current affairs right is how do you know who are the factual sources and who aren't like eventually over time those sources make themselves known um but on the outset just by looking at somebody's timeline i don't think whether you you could say whether they are uh well from the initial tweets at least whether they are being factual or not um, so yeah, I don't know how he plans. It's it's a monumental task, and like you say, I what what good is one one man going to do? Of course, having said that, Musk does like to surround himself with really intelligent people. Not saying that Twitter is not the same, but I mean, Musk has that propensity, right? Like he didn't build SpaceX and be able to get rockets up and down on his own. He surrounded himself with people who knew how to do that and could make his vision a reality. And that's what I think he's really good at, is knowing who to surround himself with and who makes good decisions and can fulfill his vision. But yeah, that, that that's just me spitballing. Um, I do want to chat about Twitter's financial results, though, because those were released yesterday. And because the company is going private, it's unlikely, although not impossible, that we'll get to see inside Twitter again anytime soon. Because a private company is not is it's not a responsibility of it to uh, publish financial statements. Um, so, yeah. So Twitter released its uh, its uh, financial results. Um, it drew in 1.2 billion dollars in revenue for the first quarter of this year. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. An increase of 16% year on year. Um, the majority of that revenue comes from advertising, which drew in $1.11 billion. That's a 23% year on year increase, while subscription and other revenue only totaled $94 million. So there's your um, your answer to Twitter Blue, 
it's bringing in a very small percentage of Twitter's net revenue. Um, net income for the quarter amounted to 530 million. Um, however, there was a bit of controversy that's uh, getting a bit more traction today. Um, Twitter mistakenly uh, over-reported its monetizable daily active users. Um, the problem with this is that the the mistake at the top end leads to a disparity of like 1.9 million users. So this is problematic because advertisers are sold advertising based on how many eyes their their um, their thing will see. So while you can you can kind of see how many users did that. The way that Twitter mistakenly um, counted these users was. Essentially, Twitter counted somebody who was using multiple accounts. If they took an action on one account, it counted that as multiple accounts taking an action. And uh, yeah, so so that was the issue, is that one person, if you manage three Twitter accounts, if you took action on one of those accounts, all three would be counted as a separate user. So that that's not very good. Um, <laughs> I, I say that it's like... Uh, but it is it's really bad actually um, especially when there's a disparity of like 1.9 million users so I don't know how Twitter or how advertisers are going to react to this how Twitter's going to make those advertisers whole um, or whether this is just a a molehill that will never become a mountain um, what did you think of that Robin because you actually pointed it out to me what what did you think of that disparity um, well, firstly, it's a hell of a mistake to make. Yeah. Um, I also feel like it almost, and again, I don't want to be liable here, but it, it definitely feels like the first of many revelations that are going to start to come to bear. Uh, the further along we get it to this deal being inked and signed, all the, uh, the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and whatnot. Uh, it, it really smacks of kind of WeWork's uh, IPO. Yeah. Uh, the moment that happened, and the, the more th things started to become public, we realized just how bad the situation <laughs> is. So, it, again, um, it kind of puts the whole uh, shareholders taking up uh, Elon Musk's offer uh, so quickly. Uh, it really puts it into perspective that yeah. we could potentially see something uh, far worse being revealed down the line. So it, it doesn't paint Twitter in a, in a good light. Um, whether or not advertisers are going to want some kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, reimbursement or, like you said, be made hold again, uh, I'm not too sure how, how litigious they're going to want to get. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is a, a huge mistake to make. And... It doesn't seem like Twitter are very, uh, really care much about it. They've kind of said, okay, we're going to be brutally honest and say we made a mistake and sorry, let's move on kind of thing. It, yeah. it, it's, it is a little concerning that they think it's not a big problem. I mean, especially like it's the day after you've inked the deal with Musk and you're like, oh, by the way, we misreported like a million users uh, over a time span. Or, oh, by the way, this was over two years. So over 2020 and 2021. So uh, Twitter says it was uh, from quarter four 2020 to quarter four 2021. So technically it's only one financial year really. Um, but yeah. This, this is bad, and I agree with you, Robin. I think that this will be the first of many revelations that will come to light now that um, Musk has the reins. 
Um, and that could be problematic, not just for for Twitter. I mean, well, I suppose for Twitter, but also for its leadership, right? Uh, Prague Agrawal, uh, the CEO, like it could be very embarrassing for him to find out that there's been some major scandals that he's, that he's covered up or mistakes that were made. Like, look, I understand makes ha- mistakes happen, right? But this is a big mistake, 1.9 million users. Um, yeah, then uh, Musk also raised eyebrows yesterday when he sold $4 billion in Tesla stock. Um, while that's said not to be uh, related to uh, the Twitter the the um, the Twitter sale or Twitter purchase rather, um, I mean it does raise an eyebrow, right? Uh, you wrote wrote the story, Robin. Do you want to give us a bit more detail? Yeah. So um, technically speaking, it wasn't Musk himself. Uh, he gave power of attorney uh, to a man named uh, sorry, I'm sorry, Aaron Beckman. Yeah. Um, so he filed five different Form Four. Uh, documents with the Security Exchange Commission and those uh, five different filings contained roughly 138 individual transactions. So um, doing a little bit of napkin math, uh, TechCrunch, which originally reported the story, said that roughly translated to $4 billion worth of uh, Tesla stock that was sold. when people kind of noticed this, Musk uh, replied on Twitter, as he likes to do, uh, that there are no further TSLA sales planned after today. Um, again, that's a little bit vague as well, uh, because does that mean that there are none planned for this week or none planned a month from now, a year from now? Never it's, again it's will Tesla un- stock be sold. What is yeah, that? Um, it, yeah, it is, it is really weird. Um, we kind of uh, mentioned as well that the $4 billion is likely not going to be for the $44 billion required to mm. to purchase uh, Twitter, mainly because Elon Musk already has those funds available. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is really peculiar behavior, especially as Musk wasn't really forthcoming as to why he sold the stock. Again, I guess he doesn't have to, but given the fact that he is as high profile as he is, and there is a massive deal, potentially the biggest in tech industry history to date, uh, looming. Um, every single move he makes now will be scrutinized mm. increasingly. Um, even the things that he's tweeting out these days will also come under massive scrutiny. Uh, all the ridiculous things he likes to tweet out and the memes he likes to, the techno king likes to, uh, to, to kind of uh, vomit up. Um, yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> It's just really peculiar behavior, but uh, look, uh, he's not the richest man in the world for nothing. I'm sure there are reasons behind the move, but if we are going to be transparent, then we need to start doing so now. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's. I think after the the sale was agreed upon, I think the first tweet out of his mouth was, "Next, I'm buying Coca-Cola to put the cocaine back in." Yeah, he wants to buy Coca-Cola. He wants to buy McDonald's. Apparently, he's going to fix all the all the broken ice cream. That's impossible. That's the one that's <laughs> like you. He can buy cocaine, uh, Coca-Cola, and put cocaine in it for all I care. But there is no way that he is going to fix every McDonald's ice cream machine. That's just an impossibility. Um, so I think the the big question now is what what's next? And I personally hate this question because we don't know, right? We don't know what Musk's going to do with Twitter. Like, he talks about um, freedom of speech, but then he also mentions that within the realms of the law. 
Now, which law is that? U.S. law or is it the laws in different countries? Because that's the stumbling block that so many social media uh, platforms have fallen at is that when it comes to regulation, uh, when you let one country dictate regulation, that means you need to let the others as well. Um, So what Musk plans to do is very unclear to me. But the other side of this as well is that he's – He's now bought a global company, right? Um, It's not like Tesla where he can dictate that the product is only available in these countries or Starlink or whatever it may be. The fact of the matter is that Twitter is available everywhere with exceptions of places like China um, where you can still access the social network. It's just a little bit more difficult. But like – I don't know if Musk has much experience in running a company or owning a company rather because I don't think he's going to be running it but owning a company that has as much reach as Twitter does because you can't just make decisions that are in the best interests of the USA anymore because Twitter isn't only in the USA. Like sure, you can tell me that it's an it's an American company and I'll agree with you because it is an American company but the fact of the matter is that it's its reach extends well beyond the borders of the United States. And the things that are said there can affect what happens in in other countries. We've seen this with Facebook in the past. We've seen this with Twitter and elections in the past. The uh, insurrection on January 6th last year. Like, social media is, whether we wanted it or not, is a tool to affect change, good or bad, uh, whoever has that opinion. Um, So I don't know if Musk is equipped to, to deal with that. Um, I'm sure that the folks at Twitter are well-versed in this, but the other side of this is that there's a lot of discontent coming down from Twitter employees with the fact that Musk is now the, uh, is the owner of Twitter. So how long are those people going to stay? But this is the problem with the question is what next? Because we don't know, and there's no real like um, example to draw from on Musk running a global company. People will argue with me on that and say, oh, but you know Twitter, I mean or Tesla, but Tesla is not a global company. And... Sure, they ship to lots of parts around the world, but where's the Tesla in South Africa? There is none. Where's Starlink in South Africa? I can pre-order it and pay Musk money, but there's no guarantee that I'm going to get it. It's just there's so many so many ifs with lots of things that Musk does, um, and I don't know what, what the future is. Robin, what, what are your thoughts on that question? What's the future? What's next? Well... Well, I mean, as far as Musk's uh, business acumen goes, um, you know, we can't really fault him on that. Mm-hmm. Um, as a businessman, he has been very good. But, um, and the big but there, those businesses were very much startups mm-hmm. and they have grown from there. Twitter exists already and it's likely a bigger beast than anything Musk has encountered from a business perspective to date. Mm-hmm. So, like you mentioned, he has an existing, I guess, footprint that he has to now manage. Obviously, he's, he's not going to be managing himself. He'll have a team yeah. behind him or working for him. But he is essentially now the figure at just, uh, just a Jack Dorsey was. He yeah. was very much the figure of the company before he left. Um, and we've kind of seen the issues when it comes to founder-led companies uh, down the line. They, they just seem, seemingly get too big to handle. Yeah. So... From that perspective, I'm not too sure if, I think we mentioned it uh, a few weeks ago uh, during the first discussion with Musk and Twitter that he potentially doesn't know what he's inheriting. Um, We kind of mentioned the fact that uh, these new things are being brought to light. And I think in the coming months, we will see what Musk's real appetite is. Mm -hmm. Um, 
if more revelations are made, um, whether or not he's willing to take the owl and just pay the one billion penalty and pull out of the deal, yeah, or uh, fork up forty-four billion and try to manage this hulking beast of a social media platform. Um, as far as what happens next, uh, I don't think even Twitter itself knows. So after the the kind of deal was confirmed. Um, Twitter held, I guess, an internal kind of town hall mm. where employees were allowed to ask Parag Agrawal uh, some questions. And he had essentially no real answers. Um, one of the things was with regards to layoffs. And he just said that none are planned at this time, which Ooh. if I'm an employee, does not fool me with a lot of confidence. Yeah. Um, he also mentioned that there is indeed uncertainty about what will happen after the deal closes. Again, uh, it kind of sits on the fence. It doesn't really fill me with confidence of an employee. Uh, he was asking, he was kind of pressed again as to what's going to happen once the deal closes. He says, once the deal closes, we don't know which direction the platform will go. And that is a little bit scary, not just from an employee perspective, but a Twitter user perspective. Um, he adds as well, we don't have all the answers. This is a period of uncertainty. So, yeah, <laughs> It, it, it almost seems like uh, Twitter is, could potentially be a little rudderless once the deal uh, finalizes. Yeah. Um, and if we look at it from a politi political perspective, um, we've seen a lot of rhetoric this week, um, especially from the, I guess, the Republican side or the, the, the right side mm. of US politics, kind of using this Twitter deal as a lightning rod as far as their own objectives. Um, you mentioned uh, that uh, that uh, statement by the Notes app um, mm. around free speech being the bedrock of democratic society. Mm. That smacks a lot of talking points that Republicans like to throw around yeah. uh, when it comes to divisive issues. Um, so, yeah, it, and I'm, I'm not too sure whether or not uh, Musk is also ready for the kind of politics that comes with handling a platform like uh, Twitter. I'm pretty sure that someone like Mark Zuckerberg wasn't ready to handle it when it came yeah. to Facebook. And uh, we saw how poorly that went during the uh, 2020 US elections. Um, yeah. So as much as, I guess, Musk's, Musk's following um, is really excited by the fact uh, that he will potentially be taking over Twitter. I think for a lot of other people, um, there is uh, a lot of hesitation as to what the future of the platform is going to be. And I'm not too sure if a lot of people can actually afford to to do a mass exodus because, from to my mind at least, there aren't a lot of alternatives um, that have the kind of reach that Twitter does, that has the kind of influence that Twitter does, yeah. uh, that isn't important. I mean, um, we've seen Twitter being used a lot as a as a vehicle for reporting social ills. Um, from a re reporting perspective, it can be really great. It can also be really uh, terrible uh, as mm. far as the spread of misinformation goes. So these are all things that Musk will have to wrestle with. Um, he'll also have to take over a... A bunch of employees that, from what you've read in the media, are kind of against his his uh, position at the company. So, yeah, he'll have a lot on his plate, uh, definitely, with this, when this deal closes.
Yeah, uh, I agree with you on all of those. Um, I do also just want to make mention that something Musk has been saying on Twitter, obviously, um, over the last week has been that he wants to uh, make it so that the most extreme 10% of the left and the most extreme 10% of the right are uh, equally unhappy um, so that the 80% of people are, are enjoy using Twitter. Um, I don't know if that's something that could happen. Um, I, I, just, I just don't want Twitter to become 4chan, quite honestly, because, uh, yeah, I mean... <sighs> If you if you don't know what 4chan is, you're lucky. Um, but 4chan has just devolved constantly over the years into one of the more vile cesspits of the internet. Um, I'm not afraid to say that because I think that they would see that as a compliment. Um, but yeah, it, it's really not a fun place to be. And I hope that uh, Musk's um, Musk's plans for Twitter don't turn it into a place like that where. It's just people who are attacking other people because freedom of speech, you know. Um, so, yeah, the future is very uncertain. But like you say, Robin, there's not really many alternatives. Is everybody going to go back to Facebook, given all the privacy issues that have uh, shown their face over the many years? I, I don't think so. Maybe people will start using Gab, although I'm pretty sure Gab CEO wouldn't, wouldn't like that many people with so many opinionated views coming to his platform. Oh, I forgot one. Truth Social. That's where everybody can go. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a big tent, right? It's a very empty place at the moment. Uh, I believe that Donald Trump himself has only posted one um, truth, as they called. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's ripe for potential as, as far as I'm, as, as I'm concerned. Um, so maybe we could take it and turn it into a fantastic place that Trump will love bigly. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what else to say on this matter. I think we've pretty much covered the biggest talking points. Um, yeah, I'm also just not looking forward to a future where everything must tweets becomes a headline. I, th I was kind of hoping we'd gone past that with uh, Donald Trump leaving Twitter, but who knows? Maybe, maybe, it, maybe we don't see it again, holding thumbs. Um, Robin, do you have any closing thoughts? Yeah, um... The more I think about it, uh, and this might sound terrible to say, but I'm hoping there are some more revelations as far as Twitter is concerned and uh, potentially numbers that they've been fudging or inflating in order to seem uh, better than they actually are. And then Musk potentially loses his appetite and is willing to take that $1 billion L instead of forking up the $44 billion. And yeah, hopefully... Twitter can kind of try and correct itself as opposed to Musk coming in and ch shaking up things so much that, uh, yeah, it becomes a terrible place to be. It's just, uh, it, it, it will be a really interesting few months as to uh, this, how this deal pans out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it though. Man, what a weird time. Billionaire buys a really bad salt mine. Goodness. What's the world coming to? Uh, but that's going to wrap it up from us. Thank you so much for joining us once again for the HTC Africast. We'll be back again next week. Uh, we hope you enjoy the long weekend. Um, yeah. And thanks so much for joining us. From myself, Brendan Lost, cheerio from Robin Nichetti. Take care, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Cheers.
sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.